Hey, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. I say this every week, but I'm thankful that that uh, that you're here today. I'm thankful if you're watching on uh, on Facebook or on uh, on our YouTube channel. If this is uh, if you're watching, and today is Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it may be next week, I think God has got us. As I say this every week too, He's got us here for a reason. Got us together for a reason. Um, the music was the, the worshipfulness of the, you know, it's all worship. Um, and I told the, the, the band and the vocalist this morning that just don't ever forget that the, the purpose of everything we do is to bring glory to the Lord. The purpose of the music, um, that, that we sing and the, the praise that we sing. And of course, I, I wouldn't use the word sing about the way that I sing, but, but the purpose is to get our hearts and get our minds right to hear a word from the Lord. It's just not to sit and say, oh, wow, that music was great. It's to get us uh, spiritually ready to hear a word from the Lord, from his word. And so that's kind of the purpose of what we do uh, always. It's the purpose of what we do. So again, I'm thankful that you're here and uh, I want to give you two little quick announcements before I jump into the message, and that's this. Number one, the 412 student ministry will not be meeting tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll jump back in next Sunday night, number one. Number two is this. I want to at least tell you where we're going to be on Christmas weekend. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service uh, on, guess what day? Christmas Eve. We're smart that way. It's going to be at 4 o'clock. It's a Saturday. It's going to be at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and then on Sunday, Christmas Day, we're going to have uh, a worship service at, at 10 o'clock like we usually do. We're going to encourage you, if you feel led, to wear your pajamas to church on that on Christmas Day. That would be fine, but we're, gonna, we're having church. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to hear a message from the Lord. What better day to have church than the celebration of of the incarnation of the creator of the universe. So we will be having church here on Christmas Day. Now, one day there was two little kids whose names may or may not have been Zach and Will. And they were, and, they, and I say literally may or may not have been, but they were acting pretty bratty and they were misbehaving. And it was on Thanksgiving Day and their dad told them, Fellas, y'all got to go. Y'all got to go. You got to get up, go to your room. You are formally dismissed from this Thanksgiving dinner. And those boys went up dejected and sad. They went up to their rooms. And a few minutes later, they heard their mama calling out to them, guys, y'all can come on down to dinner. And they were a little baffled because of what dad had said, but they walked down to the table and they sat back down. But they noticed something was different, that dad wasn't there. So naturally, they said, Mama, you know, where's Daddy? And she said, Dad went to his room. But why did Dad go to his room? They asked Mama, right? And she said, because Daddy loves you so much that he could not change his standard, but he didn't want to deny you dinner either. So Dad said he would go and he would pay the price for you so that you could come and eat the meal. So y'all, while you were enjoying the turkey and dressing, remember that your dad picked up the tab and is paying the penalty. 
So guys, I'm tell y'all when when you forget to say thanks for everything else, don't forget to say thank you, Lord, for the cross. Don't forget it. You can be thankful as you want for the turkey and dressing, but don't forget to say thank you for the cross. So Thanksgiving is a, a few days ago, and, and so I want us to talk today about thankfulness and about giving thanks, and we're going to jump out of we preach expositorily, which means we preach through books of the Bible. We teach the Word, we preach the Word, we make it hopefully make it relevant to our lives, but we walk through Scripture. That's the way we do things around here, but from time to time we jump out and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do some topical message. Um, still preaching scripture. So today we're jumping, we've been walking through the book of Acts. We're jumping out of, of the verse by verse through Acts. And we're going to talk about giving thanks. And we're going to be in Psalm 100 today. It's going to be on the screen behind me. And this is going to be a translation of Psalm 100 that doesn't actually exist. It's a translation that I did this week. And I hope I wasn't overstepping my boundaries. But I usually, y'all, when I'm doing message prep for the week or two before, I'll read the passage that we're going through in seven or eight or nine different translations as I, as I did that, and I, I typically preach out of the English Standard Version, the English Standard Translation, but as I was going through this week, I just wasn't, this probably sounds egotistical, but I just wasn't crazy about any of the translations of Psalm 100, and it's only five verses, so, so I, just did, I just said I'm going to do it myself. So bear with me, bear with me. Psalm 100, five simple verses, and Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. Okay, verse 1. Shout with joy to Yahweh, the Lord of all the earth. Worship and serve Yahweh, the Lord, with gladness and great cheer. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that Yahweh, the Lord, is God. He's the one who created us, not the other way around. We are his people and the flock in his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courtyards with praise. Be thankful to him, bless and worship his name. Have no doubt, Yahweh the Lord is good. His steadfast love and mercies never end, and his faithfulness endures through all generations. So it's a psalm of thanksgiving, Psalm 100. And you're going to notice, you may notice more things, but I'm going to say we notice three, really three things in this psalm about being thankful First is this, that there's an invitation to thankfulness. There's an invitation to be thankful. Thanksgiving is this time that we set aside and we give thanks to God for everything. 1789, George Washington penned a proclamation. Proclamation that he penned said this. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the price. And let me say this, and I, I wasn't going to say this, but if you don't think the founding of this country was based upon biblical principles, you're crazy. So don't let the world tell you otherwise because it's revisionist history. These are George Washington's words in 1789. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge what? The providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts 
the many and final favors of Almighty God. And that wasn't until 1941 that it was officially and, and ultimately declared to be the fourth Thursday of November. But clearly from the very beginning, there was a focus on giving thanks to the Lord. It was an invitation to the nation, and really it was an invitation to all nations to give thanks. And we see this invitation in Psalm 100 in verse 4. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courtyards with praise. Be thankful to him, bless and worship his name. In that verse, the invitation to, for thankfulness is given. God invites us into his very presence. He invites us into his gates. He invites us into his courtyards. He's inviting me and you, and he's been doing this since the beginning. He invites us to, to come to him. He's inviting us to respond to his love and to his mercy and to his grace because he wants to spend time with you. He wants to know you. What about you? How do, you, how do, how do we respond to the love and the mercy of Jesus? Do we, do we take it for granted and, and, and just forget it? Or do we accept God's invitation to draw near to him and to give thanks? So first there's this in Verse 4, there's this invitation to enter into his courts with thanksgiving. And then there is the motivation of thankfulness. What is it that motivated the psalmist to jump into the Lord's presence and to, to give praise and to give thanksgiving? And, it, and the answer really is that it was and is God's very nature and God's character and God's conduct. His love and his faithfulness throughout time. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Have no doubt, Yahweh the Lord is good. His steadfast love and mercies never end. And his faithfulness endures through all generations. So what is it, y'all, that motivates me and you today to give thanks? What is this holiday, this, this once a year thing called Thanksgiving, what is it? What does it really mean to you? The roots go back really further than 1941, further than 1789. The first recorded Thanksgiving in America is 1621 when the Plymouth colonists and the Native Americans shared an, an autumn harvest feast together. And maybe you've heard that story. Probably you have. But most of us don't really understand the background. It was 1605. And if I butcher some of these names, just give me grace. A Native American named Squanto from the village of Pawtuxet in Massachusetts, he met his first white man. Later on, he travels to England with a guy named John Weymouth. In England, he experienced a lot of different adventures. He was able to learn some English, the Squanto, and he returned to America in 1608, three years later. On his return to America, he was kidnapped by an Englishman named Thomas Hunt, who was one of John Smith's lieutenants. Squanto's taken from Massachusetts along with a lot of other Native Americans by an English ship captain, and he was sold into slavery in Spain. Squanto there was bought by a Spanish monk who treated him pretty well. He freed him from slavery. He taught him the Christian faith, and he led him to Christ. Squanto eventually makes his way to England, where his English was improved, and he worked on, in the stables. He was a horse guy in the stables of a man named John Slaney. Slaney sympathized with Squanto's desire to get back to America, 
and he eventually, he, he, he allowed him and he sent him back. Ten years later, after Squanto was kidnapped, ten years later in 1618, he was on a ship returning to America as a free man. When he arrives home, he learned of this second blow that the English had hurled on his tribe and because all of his tribe had died from an epidemic, probably smallpox, probably smallpox, smallpox that the English brought here. So he and another Native American named Samoset went to live in this neighboring village in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And it was there that Squanto's introduced to these new pilgrim settlers. It was there in Plymouth that Squanto became this beautiful image of forgiveness. He'd been captured by the English. He'd been sold into slavery. His entire tribe had been wiped out by a disease that the white man brought. But instead of being bitter, he chose to help the 47 of 102 pilgrims that were still alive after that brutal first winter. He helped them build warm houses. He taught them how to plant the corn crops. He taught them where and how to, to the agriculture of corn. Without his help, there wouldn't have been 10 acres probably of corn produced that year. Squanto advised the pilgrims in their relation with other Native Americans. He helped them make friends. He acted as an as interpreter. He guided them on, on uh, expeditions. He gave them advice on how to trade. The pilgrims wouldn't have made it through that winter without the wisdom and guidance of Squanto. And it was his forgiving heart. William Bradford, who was the governor, in, in, in a book that he wrote called Bradford's History of the English Settlement, he wrote this about Squanto's death. He said, Squanto fell ill of Indian fever, bleeding much at the nose, which the Native American takes as a symbol of death. And within, within a few days, he died. He begged the governor to pray for him that he might go to the Englishman's God in heaven and bequeath several of his things to his English friends as remembrances, his death was a great loss. Y'all, there would have been no Thanksgiving, no first Thanksgiving without Squanto, who made a choice to forgive out of the forgiveness that he had received from Christ. That Thanksgiving, that first Thanksgiving, it flowed out of the thankfulness of one man's heart. Through trials, through struggles, through difficulties, he'd been prepared to be a blessing to those folks in Plymouth. Verse 5, the psalmist provides us with the why, because y'all know whys matter. With the foundation of our thankfulness, I said a second ago that first Thanksgiving flowed out of the thankfulness forged in forgiveness of Squanto's heart. Verse 5, have no doubt, y'all, that the Lord is good. He is so, so good. And his goodness is not dependent on our circumstances. He's so good. His steadfast love. In Hebrew, that word steadfast love is the word chesed. I've had y'all say that before. Can you say chesed? You ready? One, two, three. Yeah, it was not bad. You got to get, it's got to come from your gut. Chesed. So that word it's a tough one kind of to translate. There's nothing really in English that really does it well. Sometimes you see it translated as loving kindness. Sometimes like here, steadfast love. 
The word is, is often used to describe the love of the Lord, which is always difficult because we can't really get our arms, really get our arms around the way that the Lord loves us. There's no language that really will do that justice. But wrapped up in that word are all the many promises in Scripture. It is a, track this with me, it is a covenantal, faithful, unending, merciful, gracious, never say die, promise keeping, I signed the paper and said I would, steadfast, kind, mind blowing, I will love you always and forever kind of love. That's the way that the Lord loves you. And there's no, English doesn't do that justice. It's all wrapped up in that Hebrew word, chesed. And he says, by the way, he says that his faithfulness, that the Lord's faithfulness perseveres and endures and is woven through all the generations that will ever exist of man. Well, I believe that that is a good why. That is a, a pretty good reason to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's a pretty good reason to, to enter his courtyards with praise. Well, what is it that me and you have to be thankful for today? How has God's great love and faithfulness showed up in your life this year? I ask you just to reflect on that. So number two is, is the motivation of thankfulness. And the last thing we see this, and we see this in the first three verses, is the celebration of thankfulness. Verse 1, shout with joy to Yahweh, the Lord of all the earth. Worship and serve Yahweh, the Lord, with gladness and great cheer. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that Yahweh, the Lord, is God. He's the one who created us, not the other way around. We are his people and the flock in his pasture. Well, how do we respond to his love and his faithfulness? I want us to look at the first word of each of those three verses. The first one is shout. Shout with joy to the Lord. That word shout has a lot packed into it. It's like, like blowing a, y'all know what a shofar is? Nick DeCenzo can blow the stew out of a shofar. It's a ram's horn. And whenever you see, um, it would be the forerunner, I guess, to a trumpet. But it's a ram's horn. And, and that word shout there in the Hebrew is like blowing that horn triumphantly, screaming from the top of Aflac downtown, screaming for joy to the Lord. That's what that word means. And so you and I, we should come to him declaring and screaming to the world of his goodness. And there are so many different reasons to be thankful. Listen to these words written in 1621 by Edward Winslow, who was one of the colonists that survived that first brutal winter. He penned these words in describing this first harvest festival. He said, our harvest of corn came in well, and God be praised. We had a good increase of Indian corn and our barley crop was also good, but our crop of peas wasn't worth the gathering because they were sown too late. And although they came up well and blossomed, the sun parched them. Once our harvest was brought in, our governor sent four men out to hunt fowl in order that we might have a special celebration, rejoicing together over the fruit of our labors. Those four hunters in one day killed enough fowl to feed our company for like a week. We were joined in our celebration by many Indians for three days of entertaining and feasting. The Indians themselves went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and gave as gifts to our governor 
and to our captain. And although our harvests are not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish that you could be partakers of our plenty. Now, I want you to look at those words again. By the goodness of God, we are so far from want. Like those are legit words. By the goodness of God, so far from want. Is that how you feel today? Do you feel that God's goodness puts me way far away from want? Is that your testimony? Is that, is that your witness? So how do me and you respond to the Lord's faithfulness? Sit down and really, really think about the ways that God has woven himself into your life. Woven himself through relationships with other people. Maybe this year woven himself into a relationship with you that never existed before. You put into words what God has done in your heart and in your mind, and then you shout it out and you declare it to your friends and to your family. Now, this is going to be weird, and I didn't tell anybody I was going to do this, but I want to do it. I want to invite you to stand up and shout out one thing that you are thankful for today. Don't all do it at the same time, because that would be really weird. But I, I, And I don't want you to be quiet about it. I don't want you to scream like a crazy person, but loud enough that we can hear. And, and just one thing, one thing that you're thankful for. I want you all to go first, and then I'll bring it in for a landing. And I guess the only way to do this, this was like not really planned necessarily. Somebody stand up and I'll point to you, but I want... All right, you go first. Say it again. My girls. Your girls. You're supposed to say your mama. I hear you. Anybody else? Eternal life with the Lord. The churchy guy says eternal life with the Lord. No doubt, bro. No doubt. Anybody else? I hear you. Your friend Corey. Corey, gotcha. Anybody else? My husband, say that again. Taking leave to see your family. Say that louder. I hear you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anybody else? Awesome. Ministry. Yes, ma'am. Music. Music. Your children. Anybody else? Yes. Say again. The cross. Yes. Healing in the back. That God walks before her. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so thankful for that too. Because if not for that, I'd be messing everything up. Right? Anybody else? Forgiveness. For forgiveness. I woke up. That's right. That's right. That's right. In the back. God's word. Redemption. Y'all hearing all this stuff? Go ahead. I can help people who can't help themselves. Good, 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 good. Anybody else? Salvation. Salvation. My beautiful mama. My beautiful mama. She's looking for a good Christmas over there. <laughs> all right, y'all. You hear all that stuff? We are far from want. And, you know, nobody said one word of any materialistic anything. Y'all hear that? When I say that we're far from want, I'm not really talking about a car and a house. 
I'm talking about the love of the Lord and the faithfulness that Scripture says over and over and over is, is unending. And that His mercies are unending. And that His grace is unending. So shout. Verse 1 says, shout to the Lord. Scream and yell of His goodness. The second word in verse 2, the first word of verse 2, but the second word is, is worship. So in response to God's overwhelming goodness, we approach Him passionately, fervently expressing our, our hearts in worship and in praise and in serving Him. And when we, when we think of, of who He is and all that He has done for us, the natural response, maybe the only response, is to worship. To worship. The Apostle Paul, he urges me and you in, in Romans chapter 12. And he says, like, in light of God's mercy, to offer all that we are, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice that's holy and, and pleasing to him. He says that's our spiritual act of worship. That off, operative word is offer or, or present. If you look on the second line up there, to present to him. Worship is all about us offering ourselves to the Lord. Well, why do we worship? We worship in light of God's mercy. It's our response to his faithful love. He's the one that made the first move. Not us. For sure not us. But clearly it's up to us to respond. The Bible says that our off the offering of ourselves is our, is our act of spiritual or our spiritual act of worship. Other translations say that the offering of ourselves is our reasonable service. That word translated spiritual or reasonable is the Greek, it's the word logikos. We get the word logic from it or logical from it. In other words, worship just makes sense. It is a logical response to God's love. It's a reasonable response to his love. We, we worship him because that's what thankful and grateful and awestruck people do. We worship. So number one, we shout. Number two, we worship. And the third word, the first word of verse three is know, K-N-O-W, know. Know who he is. Know that he is the creator of the universe. Know that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made in his image that he created us. We didn't create him. We didn't create ourselves. We're his. And we got to acknowledge that. We got to acknowledge and we got to know that, that he is who he said he is. And what that means is that we, we experience his goodness and his steadfast love and his grace and his mercy in an extremely personal way. The Hebrew word they are used for know is yada. It means way more than just intellectual understanding. It means way more than just I know in my head. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 4 in verse 1 to say that Adam knew his wife. It means having a firsthand encounter. It's not just head knowledge. It's having a firsthand encounter. It talks about, it speaks of a, of a, a deep, intimate knowledge it's a word that screams of relationship, not just to know who he is, but to know him, like to really know him. It's a knowledge that comes from, from this intimate involvement in the sense that John, uh, the Apostle John in, 
in John 17, and he's talking about knowing the Father. In verse 3, he says, now this is eternal life that they know you. It's like what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 in verse 8 when he says, I count everything as loss. And when he says that, he's like, everything, everything is rubbish. I got nothing. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, there's nothing else in life worth anything in light of knowing Christ Jesus. Y'all, I got a friend whose grandmama was losing her memory. Details getting blurry in her mind, had dementia. At least dementia's coming on. All through her life, she loved the Lord. She loved the Word of God. She depended, I mean, just, just depended and loved the Word. Had stuff written all over. Y'all seen, you know, people who just got stuff written all over in the margins in their Bible and underlined and highlighted and all. That was this, that was my friend's grandma. She'd memorized tons of verses, passages, King James only, of course. Her favorite verse, though, was 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Should be on the screen. Yep. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Well, grandma finally ends up being confined to bed in a nursing home, and my buddy and his family, they knew that she would not be leaving that place alive, barring a miracle, right? But when they'd visit, she'd quote scripture to them a lot on occasion, especially this one, verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Time went on, little, as her memory's waning, even parts of her favorite verse began to kind of slip out of her mind, and I know whom I have believed She'd say, he is able to keep what I have committed to him. My buddy said as her voice grew weaker, the verse got even shorter and shorter. What, what I have committed to him. She's kind of on her deathbed. She's laying there dying. Her voice had become so faint that her family had to bend over just to be able to hear the little whispered words coming out of her mouth. And at the end of the day, there was only one word of her life verse left. And it was him, him. She'd whisper it over and over and over as she's standing at the door of heaven and she's whispering him, him, him. It's all that was left. But y'all, that is all that we need. It's all we need. That, him, that is the knowledge of the Lord that the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 100. That's the heart of, of thankfulness. That's the very heart and soul of thankfulness is him. Somebody screamed out a minute ago, I don't remember who it was, said, you know, three or four of y'all talked about this. Somebody said the cross. Somebody said salvation. What did you say, Lonnie? Eternal life. Eternal life. Him. Him. It was him on the cross. It's him that offers salvation. It's him that offers eternal life. That's the heart of thankfulness, y'all. When you know him in that way, you're going to shout for joy. Like when you know him in that way, you're going to worship him. When you know him in that way, you're going to serve him. When you know him in that way, you're going to praise him. When you know him in that way, you're going to enter the gates with thanksgiving. When you know him in that way, you're going to enter into his very courtyard with praise. When you know him in that way, you're going to wallow up in his steadfast love. 
You're going to bathe in his never-ending mercy. You're going to just stand in the light of his enduring faithfulness. Even when we're unfaithful, he's faithful. When we're ugly and nasty and shaking our fist at him and hooting and hollering like crazy people, that's when he hugs you tighter. Y'all, hadn't you ever, if you've got kids and your kid was pitching a fit and you just grab him and hold on tight to him, that's what he does to us when we're pitching a fit like we're seven years old. He loves you in the middle of all that. And this week as I was running through in my head all these thoughts about what am I thankful for and and, and, and I thought, what, what, what would she, should we all be thankful for? And my mind was racing, and I'm trying to think of all kinds of different stuff. That's when my, I remembered this story about my friend's grandmama. And all I could remember is she kept on saying him and him and him in this nursing home as she breathed her last. It was all about him. So I just landed on take everything that you ever would be thankful for, and you can just wrap it all up and put it in one word, and that is him. And so I said, I'm, I'll bring it in for a land, and I'm just thankful for him. I am just so thankful for him. I wake up every day, can't even believe I'm saved. I'm so thankful for him. And y'all, there's a scene in The Chosen, and I don't remember the, I don't remember the episode, and I'm not saying that this, I'm not quoting scripture, and I know I'm, I get it, I'm quoting a, 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 a line from a television show, but it's so appropriate. And Mary Magdalene is talking to Nicodemus. Y'all remember those two? You remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus is asking her about her healing. And she says this. She said, I was one way, and now I'm completely different, and the thing that happened in between was him. Y'all, he stands in between. He stands in the gap. That is what he does. That nailing to the cross, that was for us, man. It should have been us. It shouldn't have been him. You want to talk about the unblemished lamb of God, the innocent unblemished lamb of God that jumped on a cross when it should have been me and you jumping on the cross? Like you want to talk about unending, enduring, faithful love? It manifested itself in the very creator of the universe dying on a cross, he stood in the gap. He stood in between. I can say for my own life, I was one way and now I'm completely different and it was him. It wasn't nothing I did. I'd mess it up. If it was up to me, I'd mess it up bad. So it's about him. Like I want y'all to think about that. I just want you to think about how is he woven himself into your life. I told y'all last week about a guy that was on the movie set Susan was working on. And God is just reeling this joker in, y'all. He posted something this week. This is a dude that had, again, never graced the door of a church in his life in 70 years. This is two days ago. He says, I'm thankful for God looking over us, my family and friends, my music and my band, all the great movie work I have been getting, the woman that loves me and all the many blessings that I surely, that I surely have not earned. God bless y'all. Have a happy Thanksgiving. This is a guy that didn't know nothing about no God. Didn't want to have anything to do with no kind of God. Sat in that back row five weeks ago 
heard a message from the Lord and the Lord's reeling him in. And y'all, I think the Lord has set the hook, but he doesn't have him in the boat yet. But he's reeling him in. And so I'm thankful, and I hope y'all are, for opportunities for the Lord to cross your paths with people that need to hear your story. Not my story. He's going to cross your path with the people that need to hear your story. And your story is different than mine. And mine's different than yours. And your friends know you and love you and need to hear your story. My prayer for all of us is that the Lord would just be this great cross-pathing God in heaven doing all of that, orchestrating all of that. And all for his praise and all for his honor and all for his glory because he wants to know us. And he wants to know your friends and your family that don't know him. So y'all, if you've never accepted that in-between thing, if you've never accepted that unfailing love and that unending grace and that unending, unending mercy, if you've never believed on the name of Jesus, I ask you today, just consider, just consider it. I'm not whopping you upside the head with a Bible. I'm not going to, because I'm not going to do it. I don't think it's effective. But it's true. It's true. It happened in history. He died in history. And he was put in a tomb in history. Dead. Dead as a doornail. And he walked out of that grave alive in history. It really happened. Trustworthy history. You can trust the history in this book. It happened. And if it happened, and we said this last week, and somebody out in the hall reminded me of it, that if that didn't happen, then our faith is in vain. If that didn't happen, it all just collapses on itself. But it did happen. And if you've never kind of accepted that in your head and in your heart, please consider that. Because your, your, your sin's going to get paid for. He took care of it. You just have to accept that. Accept that the sin's got to get paid for. Accept that he took the hit for you. Believe on his name. Believe that he came out of that grave alive and that that allows for us to live in eternity with him. Y'all, that's what we need to be thankful for more than anything. More than anything. So y'all pray with me. Lord, we love you today. And Lord, we are so thankful. And Lord, we are so grateful for your cross. Lord, we, everything we are is just rags compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you. What appropriate words that Paul wrote to the Philippians. The surpassing worth of knowing you. Lord, my prayer is that people came in here in this room today that didn't know you. Lord, that they're going to go to sleep tonight knowing you. That they're going to go to sleep tonight in a deeply intimate, saving relationship with you. Lord, that they woke up this morning one way, but they're going to bed a different way. And you were what was in between that. Lord, I pray that those that walked in today that do know you, maybe have known you and been in a relationship with you, been saved for 25 or 30 years, Lord, that something they heard in your gospel message will stir them to shout your name 
from the mountaintop. Lord, that you're going to cross their paths with somebody today or this week. And you will give them the words to say. They'll be your words. Lord, and they would lead that person into a relationship with you. Lord, we all need to hear the gospel. Regardless of how long we've been saved, we need to hear it. It builds us up. And so, Lord, we do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, we're going to share in communion. And in a minute, as, the, as our band is going to lead us in this last song, while they're leading us in this song, worshiping the Lord, if the front part of this section, if y'all can come to this table, and if the front part of this section come to this table, and maybe from those columns back, just go to the back table, and hopefully by the time you get here, somebody will be there. It's not self-serve. Somebody will be here to, to, serve, to serve communion. But we're going to do this. If you can get the elements and, uh, and then go back to your seat and we're going we're gonna to partake all together.